I'm so excited about this morning. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, just a few verses this morning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray together, please. Father, we love you. You have a word for every heart here today. Would you speak? Speak in a way, God, that we can hear you. Speak in a way that we can see you. Speak in a way that we can respond to you. Lord, we love you, and we bless you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Christmas, God Concealed and Revealed. First, I want to talk about something that oftentimes we don't talk about. It's implied, but we never talk about it, and that is God Concealed. Look at Isaiah 45, 15 for a moment. Truly, you are a God who hides himself. God of Israel, Savior. Yeah, that's close enough. Um, I don't know if you have noticed this, but God has chosen to be invisible to the human race. God has the superpower of invisibility. We've learned a lot about superpowers from all these superhero movies. And lots of them have the cloak of invisibility. I looked it up this week and it, they had like the top 10 superheroes that had the cloak of invisibility. And uh, of course, uh, from the Incredibles, Violet has a cloak that she can become invisible. And um, of course, in Lord of the Rings, Frodo can become invisible. The very first Marvel comic was the invisible woman. She could be, she could be invis- become invisible. So here's what we've learned from these superheroes that become invisible. Just because they're invisible doesn't mean they're not there. So God is a God who hides himself, and right now he is invisible to the human race. Hmm. He chose to hide himself for nine months from heaven itself in the womb of a virgin. Come all ye faithful, listen to this line, and come all ye faithful. Come and behold him born the king of angels. So maybe you haven't thought about this, but Jesus, the son, he didn't have the name Jesus yet, he was just the son, is the manifestation of God in heaven, and he has been worshipped by the angels from the first day that the angels were created. They had never known heaven without the Son being the center of worship. Could you imagine as an angel waking up one day and the Son, the center of heaven is gone? 
Where is he? Could you, can you imagine? All of a sudden, the center of their existence is gone, and we can picture angels wondering what's going on, and, and one of the underlings going to one of the superior angels, maybe Gabriel, and saying, Gabriel, what is going on? Where, where is he? Where is the focus of all of heaven, of all of our worship? And Gabriel has to explain He's actually in a a virgin's womb right now. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. They had gone nine months without seeing him. And God said, the father said, and, and gave Gabriel instructions, uh, they can all be there for the birth. Oh, they were ready to worship. They knew that this baby that popped out of Mary's womb was God in heaven. It wasn't just Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. All the angels of heaven were worshiping that day. But he was concealed for nine months in a virgin's womb. Fascinating. And then, this is just crazy, but God took off his cloak of invisibility to the human race for 33 years. Here's what the Bible says. This is John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. God took on flesh and was visible to human eyes for 33 years. However, he was still in hiding. What do you mean? So, have you ever heard the saying, hiding in plain sight? He was hiding in plain sight. And that was planned. An ancient story back in the 1600s was written called The Prince and the Pauper. And it was about a prince in, in England in the 1500s. It's a fictional story, but it was, it was about... Uh, this prince, his, his father, the king, is getting old, and so he's going to be king soon, and this guy visits the palace that looks just like him, and the prince gets an idea. He pulls this guy into, the, into the, his, his room and says, uh, I want to change places with you. I want you to put on all of my clothes, and I want to put on all of your clothes, and I want to walk out of here, and I want to find out how my people really live. And he goes out. He still holds the seal, the, the, the royal seal. But, but he, he goes out and he lives and he sees what England is really like, what, what, what the oppression is, what the tyranny is, what the, what the darkness is. And he is hiding in plain sight. So God takes on flesh for 33 years and he hides in plain 
sight. He comes at a very dark time in human history. He is born during the Roman Empire. It is no longer a republic. In, in 27 BC, Octavius took the title Augustus, which, which basically means king, and Rome became a monarchy, and he was the divine Augustus, and, um, and he's born in Israel, which at that time was a client kingdom of Rome. King, Rome gave, especially for the outer regions that they had conquered, gave a lot of freedom, and, and then they would just pay tribute, and so there was an appointed king to Israel named Herod, and Herod was a very dark man, very grasping, very only concerned for his own uh, protection, and that's another sermon for another day, but very, very, very dark. And this is where Jesus, God, decides to appear by plan. Listen to Isaiah 53.2b. When I say B, it means the second half of the verse. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He is hiding. He is a God who hides himself. And even though he became visible, he's still hiding, but he's hiding in plain sight. So let's look at God revealed. So first, he reveals himself to Mary and Joseph because they would be the parents of God in the flesh. So they both have separate revelations. Mary is told by an angel that she is going to become pregnant with the Son of God and that he is going to be the king. He is the one that will be the king of Israel forever. So that's what she's told. She's also told that his name will be Jesus, but not why. So Joseph is also visited in a dream. An angel comes to him in a dream. He's about to divorce Mary because she's pregnant. And absolutely scandalous that she is pregnant when he is not, before they're married, before they're properly married. So he's planning, they are engaged, but she's pregnant, so he's planning on divorcing her. He has a dream, and an angel appears to him and says also that his name will be Jesus, but also gives the reason why he's going to be called Jesus. Jesus means Savior. He, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So then the question that I have to ask, was, was there any conception in Joseph and Mary, that this is not just the Son of God, but that this is God the Son, that God was taking on flesh. One of my favorite Christmas songs is written by Mark Lowry. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? Here, here, here's a line from it. Mary, did you know? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod. And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she could grasp that. <laughs> I, it's just, it's just, it's mind-blowing. 
that I'm kissing the creator when I kiss this baby? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she knew. A second group that God let in on the secret were shepherds. He revealed himself to the shepherds because of the purpose for God putting on flesh. Here's what he says to the shepherds through angels again. We are here to bring you good news of great joy for all the people. So the first thing they say is, as, as the purpose for God putting on flesh, is this is going to be good news that will bring great joy and that it's universal. This is not just for Israel. This is for everybody in the whole world. Not just everybody at that time, everybody that will ever come into existence. This is good news that when believed will bring great joy. It is universal. Then he says this, for tonight in the city of David, which they know as Bethlehem, a savior, Christ the Lord, has been born for you. So now, the good news of great joy, it's universal, but it's also intensely personal. That each one has to say, it didn't just happen for everybody, it actually happened for me. He's not just everybody's savior, he's your savior. And then, he, and then the angel says this. So you, you, you go, here, here's the sign for you. You go and look, and you're going to find an infant in swaddling clothes. He's, he's going to be just like every other baby you've ever seen. It's, what, is the, what is Christ the Lord going to look like? Like a regular baby in swaddling clothes. But what's unique is that you're going to find him lying in a manger. Manger is a little foreign to us. For them, they knew a manger is, that's where animals get fed. It's a feeding trough. So the angel says, okay, I'm gonna, we're sending you to Bethlehem to look for him. Don't look in the inns. Don't look in the hospitals. He's not at a home. He is born where animals are born. So that's where you need to look. So these are shepherds. They, Bethlehem is five miles from Jerusalem. And all of the shepherds around Jerusalem are raising sheep for, uh, not for, for shearing. They're raising them for lambs. They, these are the sacrificial lambs that are sold. Everybody comes from all over Israel. At that time, about a million would come at Passover, and most of them traveled without their animal that they're going to sacrifice. And, and of course, we know from the Gospels, it was kind of corrupt, and so the only, the only approved sacrifices were the ones that were without spot and wrinkle, and the Pharisees got to decide who those were. The priests did, and so you had to buy the, your sacrifice in the temple to, 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 to make sure that it was an approved sacrifice. So, so this, is, this is big business. So these guys are raising shepherds or sheep for the, the lambs. 
that are going to be sacrificed. Passover had started many, many years before when they had taken the blood of a lamb when they were leaving Egypt and put it on the doorposts of the house above and on the sides and that God would pass over his people when judgment came because of the blood of the lamb, God would, would pass over. And that was the original Passover and then it was included as the very first feast that Israel celebrated every single year was Passover where they took a lamb without spot and they sacrificed it so that um, their sins would be passed over. And these shepherds are guarding over those sheep. They're watching over the sacrificial sheep. And now one is born, not in an inn, not in a hospital, but he is born the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. He is born where the lambs would be born. And they are called to go and watch over the one who every Passover lamb that has been slaughtered through history has all pointed to this one lamb that would die for the sins of the people. Did they know when they looked at that baby that they were looking at God in the flesh? He he was called by the angel, Christ the Lord. Did those shepherds that came, did they, when they looked at that baby, did they say, oh my, God has put flesh on? I doubt it. I don't think they could grasp that. So there is a third group that God reveals himself to, the Magi. And, uh, These are the ones that are most like us today. And so those are the ones that I want to talk about the most. So let's talk about point three, finding God. Point one was God concealed. Point two was God revealed. And point three, finding God. So here's my question for you today. Why are you here? Why are you here? Not why are you at church today, sitting, in, sitting on these seats, because <laughs> it's Sunday, duh. No, no, I'm not, no, no, not that why are you here. I mean, why are you on earth? Why do you exist? Why do you draw breath and consume food? Why are you here? Why were you born At this time in history, of all the times in history, why were you born at this time? And of all of the places that you could be born, why were you born in the country that you were born in, and why are you in a place called America today? Why? Is it all random? Is it all just... Time and chance have, have, is it all random and you just happen to be here and you just happen to show up? Or, or is this, has this all been planned strategically? And if it has been planned strategically, why? Why? Those are very big questions. Here's what I've noticed about human beings. Oftentimes we avoid big questions. They bother us, and so we don't think about them. 
But that's what we're thinking about today. Why are you here? For real, why are you here? Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole world. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So this is why you were made, so that you would seek God. God strategized everything. This is the time he decided you'd be born. This is the place he decided. He's got you here today. This is not random. God has organized all of these things, but there's this this one thing that you you have to discover, this purpose, because God is hiding, and he wants you. He created you. He made you to seek him. That is the main reason why you exist. Everything else is superfluous. You, you could have a job, you could have a family, you could do all this other stuff, but if you don't seek and find God, you've missed the reason why you were made. Tragic. So in 2016, we had a family move in next door. They had two little girls, and um, I just love these little girls, and so we would play, and they, 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 they brought the whole neighborhood over, and, and uh, so we would play our favorite game to play. There's neighbors just, we got a lot of little kids in our neighborhood, so they would, they would get them, they, they became my friend, and then they made everybody else my friend, and we would play um, hide and seek together. Here's how it went. I was the monster. I would, I would, I would count to, I, I count to 20. They would hide. We, we have parameters. There's like three lawns, and uh, And then the monster would go out and have to find them and then put them in his prison and often torture them. Um, And, uh, but if they could get back to the prison before I caught them, then they were free. And so, uh, so this is five years ago. And when we started playing, I always won. They're just little kids. I could, I could pick two of them up at once and bring them. Well, here's the thing. So it's five years later. And I'll, I'll guarantee you, and Alice can confirm this, last summer, at least once a week, there's a knock on the door. Can Tom come out and play? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Can, can Tom come out and play? And, and, and here, here's, here's the evolution of the game. So, of course, these kids are getting bigger. It's five years later. They're, they're all getting bigger. And, um, but when we, when we started playing, there was just this little boy. He could barely talk at the time. His name, was, his name is Blake. And uh, some of the first words that Blake spoke, Blake wanted to play with us, but he was afraid of the monster. So he says this to me, can I be your mini monster? <laughs> so from, from almost the beginning, Blake is my partner in finding people. 
so that he doesn't have to ever face the monster or be tortured by the monster. So, so I, I give Blake instructions, you know, you go that way, I'll go that way. And, and uh, since five years later, these kids almost win every time now, but they still come and they want to be together. It's really not, it's not as much about the hide and seek as it is about being together, just being together. We are made for this. Listen to uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. When you find Jesus, when you find God and Jesus finds you, the hide and seek doesn't end. It's this is how the whole relationship works. God wants to be valued. He wants to be sought. And he will conceal stuff until we seek him and want it and, and, and ask him to open our eyes and ask him to draw us. And, and, and then we get closer and closer and closer. And my, my feeling is this is probably what it'll be like for all eternity. We have been called, 1 Corinthians 1.9, into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about the Magi for a moment. The Magi are not kings. We sing the song, We Three Kings. Not kings. Magi were wise men who advised kings. And these wise men are from the east, and they are probably distant disciples of Daniel, who was the chief Magi in both Babylon and in Persia. He was the chief magi. He was the chief advisor. And Daniel had given prophecies. And he gave lots of prophecies over four centuries. He prophesied about Persia. He, he prophesied about Greece. And he prophesied about Rome. And not just any prophecies, very specific prophecies. In fact, so specific <laughs> And so clear were his prophecies that um, liberal scholars said these aren't prophecies. These were written after the events by somebody posing as Daniel, but clearly this is, this is not real, real prophecy. And uh, the minds of many were changed when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and there was the book of Daniel among the ancient books, B.C. versions of Daniel, that were being treated like scripture, and they're like, oh my, these are, th these are real. These are real prophecies. I want you to think about Nostradamus on steroids. These are not vague, foggy prophecies that you can kind of read into the news that maybe this is true. No, these are very specific prophecies. These guys had seen Daniel's prophecies come true for four centuries. They are like everything he said is absolutely gold. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Well, Daniel is the only one that reveals when Messiah is going to come. He's going to appear during the Roman Empire. They know it's time. But Daniel doesn't just reveal when Messiah is going to come. He also reveals the identity of Messiah, that he is going to be worshiped as God and that he's not just the king of Israel. He is the king of all the nations. So these guys, these guys have prophecy 
they know the identity. But I just, I love these guys. It, it, it is the first group in the New Testament that are seeking Jesus together. They live in a time of darkness. They t- live in a time of grasping. They live in a time of uh, grumbling and complaining. They live in a time of materialism. And yet in the midst of this, God has set eternity in their hearts. And the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to that and drawing them. And they're being drawn beyond what is seen, beyond what is around them, beyond what everybody else is doing, beyond what Augustus is doing and what Herod is doing. And and they are drawn by this unseen God and by prophecies that have been given. And they have valued what God has said above the daily news. And so they come as a community Seeking Jesus. Now, we often say there were three of them because there were three gifts. The the truth is, we have no idea how many there were, but we do know it was plural. We do know it wasn't a wise man. It was wise men. They are a community. Why do you think God sent them as a community? I think, I don't know that they make it without a community. How discouraging. Okay, we're going to leave everything because we saw this star. And because we got this prophecy. And we get going. And can you imagine the war in their mind? What are we doing? We've got a wife and kids at home. We've got jobs that we left. We're, what are we doing? And the temptation. And then you've got a... Uh, you've got a, 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 some type of storm in the desert. Or you get robbed. Or you get... and. They've, they've got to encourage each other. No, no, let's keep, the, no, here's the signs. And, and who knows, maybe one day they're wanting to give up and one of them has a dream. No, we're on the right track. Let's do it. Let's keep going. And they're encouraging one another. It is the first New Testament community traveling together to seek Jesus. And I just think it's amazing that they didn't just seek him. They found him. They found him. I can imagine the joy that they experienced when they found him. So I want to talk a little about us today as we close. So it's not just the Magi today, but all of us, that God is drawn. Listen to John chapter 12, 32 and 33. And I, Jesus is speaking, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus expressed the love of God for you and for me when he died on the cross. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I will guarantee you 100%. God knows you. God knows your address. He sees you like no other human being sees you. He's the one that put you on this planet. Whatever the circumstances were around your birth, he is the one that ordained that you would be alive, that you would be drawing breath, that you would be here today. And I'm here to say 100%. God loves you. He died for you. 
well, what about, you know, I've been very, very unlovable. It has nothing to do with how lovable you are. He died for you when you were at your worst. When you were doing your worst, whatever the worst thing is you've done, that's when Christ died, when we were still sinners. When we were at our worst, God was at his best for us. God loves you. But he's not, have you noticed that he's not forcing you? Did you notice that nobody made you come to church today? Nobody has made you do anything. He draws. And Americans are very, we're very materialistic. We're very oftentimes grasping, trying to get ahead, dog eat dog. We're very oftentimes complaining and grumbling about what we don't like, what's not right. Yet in the midst of that, God has set eternity in your heart. And the Holy Spirit has been given to draw you. The Bible makes it clear you can't come on your own. <laughs> you, uh, sin is way greater than we thought it was. The idea that we're going to seek God and find God and that we're going to get credit for finding God, not on, that's not on the table, folks. Sorry. <laughs> you can't find God on your own. It will never, it will never, you will never give glory to me because I found God. That's not how it works. You have to be drawn. You have to be drawn. How many are being drawn? Everybody. He set eternity in your hearts. There's something in you that's more than just taking sustenance and raising a family and working a job and surviving. He has set eternity. You were created for more. And so he's drawing. Well, I haven't seen, I haven't seen any signs. Are you sure? Are you sure he hasn't given you signs? Or do you just miss them? I think of the stars, how silent they are. And somebody had to look, and there it was. I've got a whole book on the, what the sign, the star was, and that's another sermon for another day, but they saw it. And as they saw it, they were drawn by the Holy Spirit. They saw scripture, and they were, they were drawn. As you read your Bible, as you look, it's, it's all there. God is drawing. He's drawing you to your greatest purpose. He wants you and he wants me to believe the good news that brings great joy. Last, maybe it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, our, our drummer, Cam, we were praying in the office before the service and he said, my little girl asked me this question. Daddy, if it's Jesus' birthday, why do we give each other gifts? That doesn't make sense. If it's his birthday, we should be giving him a gift in the mouth of babes. So these, these guys come and they give these, they, they kneel down and give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So God is, is calling us to receive the Savior, to receive his gift to the human race, the Savior. Christ the Lord, born for you. And then what do we give back to him? Here's what we give back to him. Our hearts. What can you give to a God that has everything? Acts 17 says, he doesn't need anything. He's got everything. He doesn't need you to serve him. He doesn't need anything to be happy. What, what do you give God? Here's, here's what he's looking for. You. Just as you are. We got it on the side. Come as you are. To say, Jesus... I kneel down and I give you my worship, 
which is not just a song, it's your life. This is, this is your purpose. This is my purpose for being. To receive all that he is and then to give all that we are back to him. There is one other gift you can give him. Turns out that we are now called to be Blake. We're to, now to help him find people. Every, every we t- you know, whenever we play, Blake looks to me for instructions. Where should I look? I'll tell, I'll tell him where to look. Jesus will tell you where to look for people. He wants to raise up many, many, many that will help him look for people. Listen to this, Philippians 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may, may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. One translation says you shine as stars in the world. So your life, if you live not disputing and complaining and grumbling like the whole world, if you, if you focus on Jesus and you become a thankful person and you give your heart to God, you become a star that is a sign to other people that Jesus is alive. You, you become a sign. They can't understand who you are because you're not like them and you're not doing it like them and you've got some higher purpose and it is a sign to those that have eternity already in their hearts. God has put eternity in every human being's heart even though they don't want to think about it. <laughs> and he wants you and I to be, to be part of the signs that lead them to Christ.